Good morning, church. Well, that was almost a good morning. Good morning, church. Ah, much better. And it isn't a good morning to be able to be together in the Lord's house and to worship our God. Well, in the grace, mercy, and peace of our loving Lord Jesus Christ, I want to welcome you to our service of worship and celebration. But just before we begin, we have a few family matters we just want to mention here at SPBC. First, if you're visiting with us, please know that your visit is very special to us and we welcome you. And there are visitor cards in the rack in front of you in the pew. Please fill one of those out if you would feel free to, or if you've been visiting the last few weeks and haven't filled out one of those cards, we'd love to have your visit on record. So just drop it off at the Welcome Center in the SPBC Cafe following our service. Baptismal classes begin today, so following our morning service today and again next Sunday, uh, the, these classes are for anyone who is interested in being baptized or just curious about baptism and its place in the Baptist tradition. If that's you, why not plan to just uh, attend one of these very informative sessions? They're not quite an hour long, and uh, you can meet right after the service. That Pastor Gary will be hosting that, and I think it will be in his study. I'm just not sure. Okay. The deadline for, up, uh, for updating the 2024 directory is coming up. It's this Wednesday. So if your name and contact in the info in the 2023 directory was correct and you liked it, you don't have anything to do. It'll just be repeated, okay? But if you want to change anything, the telephone number, address, or any other information, then you need to fill out one of the, uh, the forms that are available at the back of the sanctuary, or the foyer, or into, in the gym uh, at the cafe, welcome center, or out on the office table, and pick out one of those yellow forms or orangey colored forms, and be sure to fill it out and drop it off at the uh, office mail slot. Um, it's very important that we have those. The deadline is Wednesday, and they're going to go ahead and start put, uh, collating and putting the directory together after that. The warming center and one roof clothing drive. What an absolute blessing you have been, folks. Last week, we had two full car loads go to the welcome center in clothing. They were totally overwhelmed. So thank you so much. And we said we would still receive goods today, and so if you brought something, just leave them on the table, and we will see that they get there this week as well. And uh, they have just been absolutely delighted to get that. Uh, Chris and Judy Foster were instrumental in giving us, getting this drive going, and unfortunately, they're sick with the flu today, so pray for them, okay? But uh, we'll continue with that. Discipleship Explored has now been launched, and we're doing it through our small group initiatives. If you uh, want to see a group that you could fit into, there are four of them, and you'll notice uh, they're, they're all listed on the small group board out in the foyer as well. Uh, my group will be starting today, and if you, you hadn't thought of joining it, just come see me after the service. We'll make room for you. If you'd like to stay, that's not a problem, and we'll be meeting right at about 12 o'clock today. Now, we, as a family, we always have to have some sort of a celebration around, right? Well, this week we have a big one. Margaret Reimer's going to be turning 90 on Wednesday, but don't let her know, okay? <laughs> Congratulations, Margaret, and God bless. 
Now, following this morning's service, be sure to join us in the gymnasium for our Stanley Park Cafe. It's a wonderful time to have a coffee, a snack that Janet has made, and uh, just spend some time talking to somebody you haven't talked to before, or somebody you haven't talked to very often, or somebody you talk to all the time. Just go and talk. It's a wonderful time of being together. God bless, and we're going to let the uh, worship team take over at this time. Good morning. I'm, I'll open our time in a word of prayer, and um, after that, we can stand and sing. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the time that we can gather to worship you. I thank you for bringing each of us here in person or online. And I pray that you will meet with each of us today as we, as we sing these songs and as we listen to the message and as we experience you this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so if you're able, please stand. Um, we're going to sing House of the Lord to begin with. Surely in this place, we won't be quiet. 
shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We shout out your praise. Shout out your praise, Lord. We shout out your
time uh, I'm going to uh, pray for the kids and uh, pray for the offering um, after which uh, the kids will be dismissed. Um, So let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the children in our congregation. I thank you for the way that they're growing and uh, the way that you are leading them. I pray that you will bless them this morning and this week. I pray for the visitor children that we have here as well, that um, everyone here, everyone connected to the church, that you will, you will bless them, help them, keep them safe, help them to learn more and more about you, and uh, bring them to yourselves. And I pray for the Bible Town teachers this morning that you will bless their time together and uh, help them to teach well and help the children to be attentive and uh, to learn lots about you. And I pray for the offerings that have been given this week, um, that you will bless those I pray that you will take the money that's been given as well as the uh, time that's been volunteered and that you will use it all to further your kingdom here and around the world. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So kids, uh, you're dismissed. Um, Your leaders are going to be over in Bible Town. You can find them at the back.
bow with me in prayer. Father, with the, the words of that amazing hymn, it is well. It is well with my soul. With those words still resonating within our hearts and minds, we are reminded that there is nowhere we can go where your love can't reach us. And when we realize just how great your love for us is, we can sing those words with absolute conviction that it is well with my soul. It is very well. Regardless of whatever we might be having to live through in this particular moment of time, the amazing truth is that your peace, your joy, your love surrounds us and holds us. It fills us and captivates us, for that is how utterly amazing your love for us is. We know that you are the almighty, sovereign, creator, ruler over all things. For you are the God of hosts, high and lifted up, holy, pure, absolutely lovely, and yet you've reached into our lives and through the sacrifice of your own son, you have drawn us into an eternal relationship with you. We come with hearts and with knees bowed into the very presence of the holy God who loves us so much that he gave his one and only son to die for us, taking our rightful place, taking our punishment, all of our sins, all of the evil of this world, all of it. He took it all so that we might have peace. Indeed, O oh God, it is well with our souls this morning. We know that that's not the case for the world we live in, for the nations and the people of this world do not know peace. Wars are being fought even as we are praying right in this moment. Nations are in conflict with other nations, and some with their own people. We pray for all the killing, the brutality, the senseless taking of lives that are happening in places like Israel and Gaza and Ukraine and Russia and Asia, Africa, indeed all around the world, where people are killing people, where hatred rules, where evil abounds. Father, we pray. We pray for peace throughout this world. We pray for all the national leaders around the world, that they might have wisdom to know and courage to do what is right, even as we pray for all the people who live in lands near and far, and especially for those who live right here, in this part of the world we call home. We pray that their hearts might turn to you, that your righteousness and truth might prevail over the lies and half-truths that the world would rather believe. Almighty Father, you call your children to live as brothers and sisters, in love and in harmony. Even as you have given your Son to be our Savior, the Prince of Peace, grant that we who are called by his name would yield our lives and our ways and our minds, our beings to you and to you alone even as we live striving for reconciliation and understanding and peace in all of our relationships with one another 
and in the world we live in, all for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who gave his life, not only for us, but for the world. Prove yourself to be the God of hope for those who are hopeless, the God of comfort for those who are grieving, the God of grace and mercy in everyday life situations. And Lord, it's not only the world we live in that needs to know your healing touch, but we who belong to you are also a people in need. In need of forgiveness for sins we have committed against you, our holy God, may your spirit speak into our hearts and lives, and by your grace and through your mercy, might our souls rejoice at your love and forgiveness. We are a people who need a healing touch, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Prove yourself to be Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, the God who restores. As we lift our brothers and sisters before you, touch and heal. We pray for Anne and Doug, for Jacqueline, for Andrew, for Paul, for Cameron, for Nancy and Harvey, for Alice and Leo and many others who need to know and experience your touch for themselves. Comfort those who are grieving loss. Strengthen those who are needing to feel your arm around them. Touch each of us where we need to experience you in our lives. And now as we come before your word, in these sacred moments, may your Holy Spirit teach us as he speaks your truth into our hearts and minds and lives, even as we bow in worship and adoration, as we lift hearts and beings in praise, prove yourself to be the God of grace and peace, as you not only hear our prayers, but answer them through Christ Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world in whose strong and mighty name we come, and we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. It's uh, good to be together here today in the house of the Lord uh, to sing praise, uh, to worship Him. And today um, I, I want to share with you uh, a, few, a few thoughts that, that I've had before we just get into the message here. I've, I've found there's a really interesting trend, it seems, towards... Um, different church names today. There's a, there's a lot of really kind of out-of-the-box sort of, sort of thinking outside-of-the-box church names that, that we see today. Um, do you remember when you used to be able to tell from a church name what denomination it belonged to and basically where it was located? Yeah, it, th those days seem to be behind us now. And uh, I found it interesting, there's, there's a really kind of funny little article that uh, church specialist and strategist Tom Rayner uh, put together. And I, I want to just read to you what he wrote about 
what he's observed in, in this trend towards uh, different church names. He wrote this. He said, uh, do you remember when you could figure out which denominational church came to the city first? First Methodist, first Baptist, first Presbyterian. Remember when you could tell when two churches had split apart? There was Harmony Baptist Church and Greater Harmony Baptist Church. <laughs> Those days are behind us. But what has not changed is that many churches have commonalities in their names. In their attempts to be different today, they have become common. I went to social media to learn from my community about church names. Their responses were both fascinating and funny. Point has become ubiquitous. Life point, cross point, grace point church. The word life seems to have a new life. Life church, real life church, new life church, life point church. Redeemer and Redemption are getting a lot of love these days. Redeemer Church, Redemption Church. City Church, usually with another name in front of it, very popular. These churches, by the way, can be found in the city suburbs or the country. Christ Church, very popular, simple. Five biggies from the past 10 years. Journey Church, Bridge Church, Mosaic Church, Foundry Church, Generation Church. Cross has made a surge, cross church, cross fellowship, cross roads, cross point. Meaningful names, impact church, epic church, transformation church, renovation church, revolution church, innovation church. Fellowship can be found in almost any town. It usually has other words with it, but sometimes it's just fellowship church. Grace, especially popular in the Reformed churches, Grace Church. Many churches like the new factor, new life, new hope, new song, new now. He made that one up. Moving on up, Elevate Church, Vertical Church, Summit Church, Peak Church. And then the not English names, right? Pick a Greek or Latin name you remember from seminary, Ecclesia. Koinonia, Agape, there are many others. I'll cut off his article there. He goes on for a little bit of a rant there. But um, I, I know, to be very clear, I, I know and appreciate the process that churches go through in trying to come up with a name uh, or to rename themselves, as, as seems to be uh, the case with many churches today. But it's really interesting because the early church didn't seem to have that problem. Trying to come up with, with a new name was not a priority for the early church. In fact, in the New Testament, the focus and concern is not on what churches called themselves, but on what others called them and how they were known by the world around them. We are called Christians, my friends. And the reason we are is because of what happened in Acts chapter 11 in a place called Antioch where believers were first called Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. They were called Christians by the people in the city around them, the people of Antioch. Now in the New Testament, that term Christian is always used by outsiders 
opponents of the church, if you will. And it wasn't necessarily a glowing term. It means party of Christ or followers of Christ, more accurately translated, little Christs. And that's how the world saw the church and specifically how the people in Antioch saw the believers there. They were like these little Christs running around. They were all about Jesus. That's all they could seem to talk about is Jesus, Jesus. They're these little Christs. And yet this term meant originally to belittle and deride believers was soon embraced and became a beloved way to define followers of Jesus. Indeed, little Christ is what we should look like, is it not? To the world watching, to the world around us. If it wasn't for the exemplary church in Antioch, we might not be called Christians today. In fact, if there's any church in the Bible that churches today should strive to be like, whose example we should seek to follow, to emulate, I would say it's the church at Antioch. As we're going to see today, this was a faithful, vibrant, influential, missional church In fact, the first international church in the world, it became the launching pad for Christian missions worldwide. Very important church. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to learn about it. Open it up to the book of Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And we're going to take a look at what made this church so special. By the way, if if a church is looking to rename themselves, I'd suggest Antioch would be a great name for all the reasons we've already mentioned. But uh, before we read this passage, I just want to ask the Lord's blessing and leading into it. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to hear and to heed your word today, to see and follow the example of the Christian church in Antioch, and not merely to listen, but to do what your word says by the power of your spirit, to the glory of Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. Okay, to set the scene here, before we dive right into Acts 11, we just have to backtrack a little bit to Acts chapter 7. Uh, If you recall there, uh, Stephen is the first Christian martyr. He is stoned to death for his faith in Jesus Christ. And there's a man overseeing that process of Stephen being murdered. His name was Saul. Saul stood carrying the cloaks or holding the cloaks of the men who were stoning Stephen. And uh, here's what we read. I think I have this beginning at verse 8. It says, Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then verse 4, it says this, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. These aren't church leaders doing this. These are congregants. These are everyday followers of Jesus going and preaching the word everywhere they went. But where did they go? Where did they went? Well, we find out in Acts chapter 11. We find out exactly where they went. Now, we're going to read through this passage, and I'm going to 
invite you, if you're able, to stand as we do this. And we're going to do something a little bit different. There's four slides to take us through this passage. So I'd like to uh, encourage some participation here. We're going to start with this section here. And you guys are going to read this slide right here, verses 19 to 21. Then you guys stay standing. Then this section is going to read the next slide, the next few verses then this section is going to read the next slide, and then I'm going to read the last slide. Does that sound doable? Can we do that? All right. Together, let's read God's Word. We'll just let this section begin, and then we'll move through that order. Here we go. Excellent. Your turn. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Thank you. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Let's do this last one all together. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did by sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for that uh, participation in the reading of God's Word together today. Uh, It's nothing like the sound of God's people reading God's Word as far as I'm concerned, so thank you. Okay, this is, a, this is a really amazing passage of Scripture here. I say that every week, and I mean it every week. Um, what happens here is, is really a, a turning point in the history of Christianity. Uh, and, and when we kind of break it down, we begin to, to recognize just the magnitude of, of what is going on here. Now, verse 19 It says that those who had been scattered by the persecution after Stephen's martyrdom, of course, Saul goes on a rampage. Those who had been scattered by that persecution traveled as far as Phoenicia, which, by the way, that's present-day Lebanon. Some went to Cyprus, which was an island nation about 30 miles off the coast, 
and others settled in Antioch. Just to show you on a map here, give you a sense of that. So there's Jerusalem down at the bottom there, Phoenicia up along the coast, modern-day Lebanon, and then, of course, Antioch way up to the north, roughly 300 miles north of Judea. Okay, so we need to understand a little bit about this city of Antioch before we understand about the church that was planted there. This was a very large happening city. It was cosmopolitan and and commercial. In fact, it was the third largest city in the Greco-Roman world, next to Rome and Alexandria. It was the capital of Syria, and the population was pretty impressive. Anywhere between 300,000 to to half a million people at this time were were living there in Antioch. Um, So you see, it's, it's kind of in a strategic place geographically. It had major highways to the, to the north, south, and east, and so it had this incredibly diverse population. It was a crossroads, and that diverse population made it a religiously pluralistic and idolatrous society. In fact, it was known as the abode of the gods. Worship of the Greek gods happened there in, uh, on mass. There was uh, shrines and temples to Apollos and to... Poseidon and Adonis, all kinds of gods were worshipped there. So it was a diverse population. There, there were Greeks, Romans, Syrians, Phoenicians, Jews, Arabs, Egyptians, Africans, Indians, Asians, all lived in Antioch, which you think about that, that, that made it a really strategic place. In fact, the perfect launching pad, not only for the first international church, but again, this launching pad for worldwide missions. And so these scattered believers went about preaching the word, just as we saw in Acts 8, verses 1 to 4. Most of them, however, were doing what? They were preaching, telling the message, can you say this with me, only to Jews. So these were Jews, Jewish converts to Christianity who had been scattered, many of them traveling with their families, of course, their families who are now going to relocate, that they need to find a place to live. And so those who landed in Antioch, they would have kind of remained within their Christian circles. Now, there were Jews, for sure, already living in Antioch, and the idea here is that those Christian Jews from Jerusalem now We're sharing the message, yes, but only with Jews. Why? Gentiles, traditionally, they they were unclean, according to Jewish custom, right? We saw that back in the story of Peter. Okay. They were telling the message only to Jews. They did not share the gospel with Gentiles. But look at verse 20. Something new begins to happen. It says, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, so northern Africa, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks. Now, in your Bible, that might be translated as Hellenists. It may be translated as Gentiles. That's what it means. These are non-Jewish people. They began to speak to Gentiles, to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. That word telling, telling them, that's the Greek word 
euangelizo. It's where we get our word evangelism. That's what they did. They evangelized non-Jewish people. They were not afraid to, to reach out with the gospel, to tell the good news about Jesus to, to Greeks, to Gentiles. So the first thing, my friends, the first thing we need to take note of is the importance of evangelism in this church, frankly, in every church. Having been born through evangelism, this church had an incredible outreach to unbelievers, Gentile unbelievers specifically. These men who had traveled from Africa, Cyrene and Cyprus, were deliberately evangelizing the Gentiles, sharing the gospel with these Gentile unbelievers. Now, you might recall Acts chapter 10. Peter had preached to a, a Gentile named Cornelius. He was a Roman centurion. Remember that whole scene? He, he has a vision. Cornelius has a vision. They come together. Peter preaches the gospel. He shares the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And, and he, Cornelius, and his whole household are baptized. They believe. They receive the Holy Spirit just as the disciples had. And they are welcomed in. Peter has to go back to Jerusalem after there's this conversion. He goes back to explain it to the church, the, the mother church in Jerusalem. They had to know what was going on, right? They had to be able to validate the work of the Spirit throughout this region. And that's what happened. But here's the funny thing. As far as we can tell from the history scripture records, what these men did here, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene had never been done before. To this point, no one had intentionally preached the gospel to entire groups of Gentiles. It hadn't happened. These men were breaking through a major cultural barrier. They had no hesitation and no anti-Gentile bias or fear for that matter. They acted courageously, boldly, and I would add this, they acted strategically, because you might miss it, but look what their message was. They told the good news about the Lord Jesus. Notice it doesn't say the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, Messiah, that had a significance to a Jewish audience, right? They knew about the promised Messiah. They were looking forward still to the promised Messiah, but not to a Gentile audience, the hope of, of Israel, the Messiah, wouldn't mean anything to them, at least not yet. And these men understood that. See, we know the church eventually did learn about the Christ, otherwise they wouldn't have been called Christians, but these men from Cyprus and Cyrene who first preached the gospel to the Gentiles knew their listeners. Here's the funny thing. That, that title, Lord, is kurios in Greek, and that was a well-known term, especially in the mystery religions. It refers to a divine God, small g, who could give salvation to people. This would have been well-known in Antioch. And so these men told everyone about the good news about the true Kyrios, the true Lord, Jesus Christ, who is the only Savior of the world. That's what they did. Just a quick note here, I think there, there's a point for us here. To be effective in, in our evangelism, it's important to know who we're reaching out to. To have at least some understanding of their understanding, their background, their culture, their ideas about life and God. Well, that's what these men did. Uh, I find it really interesting. We're not given their names 
We don't know who they were. We don't know how many of them there were. And yet they played this huge role in establishing this incredibly influential church. So if you've ever wondered uh, if little unknown behind-the-scenes Christians can have any impact for God's kingdom, the answer is a resounding yes, absolutely. The church in Antioch got started because these ordinary guys, whose names we don't even know, were willing to witness to their neighbors and tell them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And because of their obedience and faithfulness to share the good news, what happens? The Lord's hand was with them. The Lord's hand was with them. The Lord's hand usually refers to either his hand of judgment or his hand of blessing. And here it's his hand of blessing, absolutely. The Lord's hand of blessing was with them. Why? Because these people were preaching the gospel. There's a really important connection between faithfulness to share our faith and God's blessing between evangelism and God's blessing on his church. The Lord's sovereign hand of blessing was with them. And we know it because what happened, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Great number translated multitudes of people. So there, this wasn't a little revival. This was a massive one. Possibly hundreds of people turning and believing in the Lord for forgiveness and salvation. So my friends, first and foremost, the church in Antioch was a gospel-preaching church. The good news about Jesus is the centerpiece. That's how this church started, that's how it grew, and that's how it continued to grow. Uh, May we never forget that. The gospel. When the church stops preaching the gospel... It stops being the church. Here, here I've, I've <laughs> I try my best uh, by God's grace to, to always, to, to preach the gospel. Now, I'm not perfect at it for sure, but my friends, the day I stop, I need to resign. Paul wrote this. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The formation, continuation, and and ultimately the culmination of the church is the result of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the way Jesus put it in the Great Commission, right? We have to go to the ends of the earth to do that. It's not until the gospel is received in every nation under heaven that the end will come. May we continue that work, my friends. If nothing else, Stanley Park Baptist Church, may she always be a gospel-preaching church. Just want to mention our mission statement. Making disciples who become mature and productive Christians. Making disciples. That is evangelism. You can't make a disciple without the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith comes through hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. May that always be, first and foremost, our mission as followers of Jesus here at Stanley Park. We have an amazing model here. Antioch did that. God's hand of blessing was on them because they faithfully preached the gospel. They shared it. And uh, I would just say, let's ask for God's help 
in continuing to do that, my friends. Not just me preaching, I'm talking about all of us. Sharing the message with those God has placed in our lives. Lord, grant us wisdom and and grant us courage to share the good news of Jesus and tell others what he's done for us. I remember that little kid's song, right? He forgave my sin, he saved my soul, he cleansed my heart, he made me whole. That's what we're supposed to go and tell people. The story of what Jesus has done for us. That's what these men from Cyprus and Cyrene were doing. Okay, so we've got this amazing thing. This great number of believers turn to the Lord, they're saved, but that's just where it starts. Because once somebody is saved, once someone has repented their sin and surrendered in Jesus for forgiveness, what happens next? What do they need? They need to be taught. They need to be discipled. Discipleship. So first of all, what we see is evangelism. This was a church that understood the importance of evangelism, and they did it well. Number two, this was a church that understood the need for discipleship of those new converts. And so we read this, beginning of verse 22. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. News of this mass conversion of Gentiles. And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. The, the mother church in Jerusalem, again, they needed to evaluate and validate what was happening. Namely, that the true gospel was being proclaimed and embraced and that the Holy Spirit was being poured out. And my friends, this was a brand new work happening in Antioch. Believers from all over the world, both Jews and Gentiles, were coming to faith in Christ. And there was no apostolic leadership there. Antioch needed accountability, so they send this man named Barnabas to go check out what was going on. Make sure that it was the real deal. So, you remember Barnabas, right? Barnabas is so cool. He is, uh, he is someone we need to emulate, someone we need to look up to and follow his example. Here's where we met Barnabas. You remember way back in Acts 4, very early days of the church, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, Barnabas, which means what? Son of encouragement. He was a Levite, a native of, guess where? Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He was a man who encouraged, known as the son of encouragement. He was a man who was generous. He gave. But he was also a man with discernment, keen discernment. You might recall after the apostle Paul, at this point he is known as Saul, after he is converted, after he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and is blinded and has that amazing experience and and he turns to the Lord, he had to flee Damascus because he, he basically catches the fire, right? He starts preaching the gospel everywhere he goes. The Damascan leaders didn't like it, so they basically hunt him down. Paul, Saul has to flee. Where does he flee? He flees to Jerusalem, where the disciples are, right? That's where I need to go. I'm a follower of Jesus now. He was a persecutor of Christians. Now he's a follower of Christ. He's going to go there. Do you remember what happened when he got there in Acts 9? The apostles were terrified of him. <laughs> There's no way that this guy actually converted. There's no way he actually repented and came to Christ. No way. But someone meets with Saul and listens to his story and takes him at his word, and that guy was Barnabas. Barnabas, he was the only guy who who had the spiritual discernment to say, 
no, Saul's for real. What happened is for real. And he brings him before the apostles and advocates on his behalf. You got to listen to what God did. He met Jesus, our Savior, and now he is following him. And he has been called by Jesus to preach the gospel to who? The Gentiles. Okay, that's Barnabas. So Barnabas was a man of discernment, man of encouragement, and a man of generosity. That's who the leaders of the church in Jerusalem decide to send to Antioch. Go check this out, Barnabas. You're the man. You're from Cyprus. These guys who started this, they're from Cyprus. Go check out what is going on. And so he goes. Um, He goes, and when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad. How does he determine that what was happening was legit, was bona fide? This is God at work here. He saw the grace of God at work in them. Grace means God's unmerited, undeserved favor. That's what Barnabas recognized in these believers. They understood that they were sinners saved by the grace of God. Someone who has been shown grace, who truly knows it, shows it in turn. And that's obviously what he recognized here. This is great. These guys are for real. He saw, Barnabas did, the evidence of God's grace at work in them, and he was glad. That's amazing. Um, So... It says this, he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. By the way, if he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord, that meant they were already being true to the Lord, and they just needed to continue to be true to the Lord with all their hearts. But how does he do that? I need to take a drink. How does he do that? Look at he encouraged them. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord. He encouraged them all. My friends, discipleship begins with encouragement. This wasn't, uh, I don't think, a pep talk that Barnabas gave them. Uh, I don't think it was a one-day seminar that he put on. It was the ministry of encouragement that he brought to these believers. To encourage, by the way, means to put courage into another the courage to continue to trust, follow, and obey Jesus Christ. That is what Barnabas did for these new believers. Why? Because he was what? He was a good man. Goodness, by the way, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, which he was full of. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And the result of his encouragement, what? A great number of people were brought to the Lord. Okay, this is the second great number of people who were brought to the Lord. We've had those who came to the Lord through the witness of the men from Cyprus and Cyrene. Now, a whole lot more come to the Lord through the ministry of Barnabas and his encouragement, his discipleship. This is incredible. But again, Barnabas is smart. He has good discernment. He was able to recognize in Saul the spirit. He was able to recognize the spirit in them. It's a good thing, but he's got a problem all of a sudden because with a great number of people coming to the Lord, the need for discipleship and disciplers becomes a lot greater. And he quickly realized, I can't do this by myself. I need help. Fortunately, he knew just the man for the job, Saul. Right? Barnabas arguably knew Saul better than anyone else. And so that's who he knows he has to go get. Um, Before I move past this point, uh, I think it's important as we consider the 
ministry, Barnabas' ministry of encouragement, uh, to consider just how important a ministry that is in, in the church. We need encouragement. They needed the ministry of encouragement, and my friends, we need the ministry of encouragement in our lives. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have the Holy Spirit, this is a ministry that should flow from you. Whether you have that specific gift or not, we should encourage each other. We should be there to put courage into each other to continue in the faith, to continue to be true to God's calling and God's word. That's something that we can do, my friends. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says you should be encouraging each other all the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching, which we know it is. The, the ministry of encouragement should be more important than ever in the church. It's a huge part of discipleship. We should be spurring each other on towards love and good deeds. Let me ask you this. This is a good opportunity maybe just to take a look in that spiritual mirror, mirror and say, okay, what kind of Christian am I? Am I one who is an encourager? Am I the kind of person that when other Christians see me coming, that, that they actually want to go to and speak with because they know they will receive a word of encouragement? Or am I one of those more sour grapes type Christians who, man, it's so easy to, to point out the negative. It's so easy to see the worst in people and to let people know it sometimes. God forgive us. God help us. May we be encouragers here of one another, encouragers in the faith, spurring each other on towards love and good deeds, just like Barnabas did. Okay, so Barnabas knows he needs help. He's going to go get it. It says this, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. By the way, that's how, where Saul had gone. They'd shipped him off to Tarsus, where he was from. That's where Barnabas goes to look for him. That's really interesting because that word look means to search. Saul wasn't an easy guy to find. That's the idea here. The idea is that Barnabas probably had to spend a significant amount of time trying to track Saul down. Where, where did this guy go? Where is he off preaching? We don't know how long. We don't know to what lengths he had to go to, but he finally finds him. And when he does, he found him. He brought him back to Antioch. Okay, so now we got the dream team. We got Barnabas and Saul back in Antioch, ready to disciple these great numbers of Gentile believers, many of them. Amazing. Okay. And uh, here's what happens for the next year. A whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Again, this is the third mention of great numbers. There's a lot of Christians here in Antioch. This is an amazing thing. What a revival. So, we mentioned the importance of encouragement and discipleship while teaching. Teaching is the most critical point of disciple making. Jesus said, he commissioned his disciples saying, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. We talked about that last week in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and doing what? Teaching them. Not just teaching them everything I've commanded you, teaching them to do what? To obey everything I've commanded you. Teaching, my friends. Followers of Jesus need to know and learn God's word, to read the scriptures and know how to apply them. And we don't just need to understand Jesus' teaching, we need to learn how to obey it. Each of us needs that. As long as we are on this earth, we continue to need to be taught and led into the truth of God's word. 
And so Barnabas and Saul dedicate a year of their lives to doing just that, to encouraging, instructing, and discipling the church at Antioch to know God's word and obey Jesus' teaching. And by the way, I think this is a really important point. We haven't heard that they're called Christians yet. It's only after a year of discipleship, a year of growing in Christ, that Luke makes this comment. He says, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. They weren't called that right away. They were called that after they'd been taught, after they learned how to obey what Jesus taught. Interesting. I mentioned this earlier, but um, the believers in Antioch didn't call themselves Christians. They were called Christians by the people in the city of Antioch. That word Christian only occurs three times in the Bible. Interesting, right? It occurs here for the first time. It occurs in Acts 26, verse 28, and in 1 Peter 4, 16, where Peter writes these convicting words, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Again, by this point, the, the believers had embraced the name Christian, little Christs. Yeah, that's how we want to be known. And if you're called that, praise God. Count that an honor. Praise him that you bear that name Christian. And so, my friends, this is a significant milestone in the history of Christianity. You see, these followers of Jesus were so different from the culture around them that the citizens of the city had to develop another entire category for them, another term, another classification of people, something beyond Jew or Gentile, because these Christians were made up of both Jews and Gentiles. In fact, they were from all different cultural backgrounds, from different nations, and yet they shared the same values, the same way of life. They believed and preached the same message of Jesus. They didn't blend into the culture. They were completely set apart from it. They were different. And my friends, as Christians today, we should be described the same way. Different, unique, distinct, diverse, yet unified in Christ. In the church at Antioch, so we see what? We see effective evangelism. We see this incredible discipleship. And then it results in something really special. This amazing display of sacrificial mercy and tangible generosity to those in need. This is what we read, beginning of verse 27. I'll just wrap it up here. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. Let me pause there for a moment. We can read about this in Acts 21. We will see this eventually. This famine would be the result of the flooding of the Nile River. And uh, even though this had not taken place yet, the disciples determined that they were going to help these believers, their brothers and sisters in Christ in Judea. And so each disciple gave in faith according to their ability. They didn't, by the way, ask how much is this going to cost? How much? We need to see the numbers before we come up with their plan. No, they gave in faith. They gave generously as they could, and they gave selflessly. You see, they could have, this, this was going to affect everyone, this, this famine, by the way. I mean, they could have been kind of storing up some reserves for themselves, but they didn't. Their concern was their brothers and sisters in Christ in Judea. And so they gave selflessly. 
putting their Judean brothers' needs ahead of their own. Even though they were distance away and from a different culture, both churches belonged to Jesus Christ. So together, the church in Antioch collected a love offering. And they sent it along with Barnabas and Saul to deliver, by the way, to the elders. Notice that, the elders there in verse 30. This is the first mention of elders in the New Testament. Uh, which is a signal because no longer were the apostles able just to oversee every church. They needed to establish elders, overseers, and pastors to be the leaders of these different churches. So that's what they do. They, they send along this tangible love offering. We don't know how much money was there. We don't know what all it entailed. But it was an incredible example of the fact that their discipleship had taken, right? Going back to our statement, making disciples who become mature and productive Christians. That is our aim here. That's what we believe God has called us to do, to make disciples through evangelism who become mature through discipleship and productive through tangible service for God. What an amazing picture we have here. This is just where it begins, this church in Antioch. Uh, But today I pray that, that we would be quick to examine their example. Because honestly, my friends, I don't think it gets any better than this. This is this diverse church made up of people from all different nations and backgrounds and cultures who hear the good news by regular, ordinary people. These these guys, these believers from Cyprus and Cyrene who were willing to tell them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And by the Holy Spirit's power, they're converted They're convicted. They believe the message. They repent of their sin. They believe in God's son, Jesus. Then Barnabas comes along, along with Saul later, and they disciple these guys. They teach them how to obey Jesus. They teach them what God's word says and model for them what obedience looks like. And then they get it. And so when they hear of a need like this, they have the discernment to say, this is This is important. And they follow the Spirit's leading to give, to give this love offering generously, selflessly, just as Jesus would. Wow, what an amazing example. Next week, we have the opportunity to recommit ourselves to our church covenant here. Again, I mentioned our statement, making disciples of Jesus Christ. We do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, who become mature and productive Christians to the glory of God, if we want to put it in those Trinitarian terms. But my friends, we have a covenant. We've committed to doing, in fact, a lot of what we've read today We're going to be renewing our church covenant next week uh, in a special service of celebration around the Lord's table. We're going to be, Lord willing, welcoming some new members into our fellowship here. We always look forward to that. New and uh, old and returning members. Uh, Our dear brother, founding member Bill Hebert, look forward to, officially Bill's back and we thank God for him. Um, But no, the point being, we, this is an opportunity to recommit ourselves to the mission that God has called us to. Our mission statement is based on the Great Commission. That's where it comes from. We didn't make it up. It's, it's there in Scripture. And that is what I pray that the Lord would empower us to do, that we would be witnesses just like those men from Cyprus and Cyrene, ready to share the reason for the hope we have in Christ with anyone who would ask it, that we would understand where they're coming from. The people in our lives are there for a reason because we know them. And God has called us to reach out to them, not with a, a complex treatise, but with our story, the story of what Jesus has done in our lives, how he saved us. May we do that. 
And now, may we continue to grow in discipleship here as followers of Christ. May we have that gift of encouragement and use that gift to spur each other on as followers of Jesus towards love and obedience towards good deeds. And may God be glorified in all of it. May we be quick to see those opportunities to reach out and to serve. By the way, this is a really appropriate plug for our coats and boots. Uh, there's a major need in, in our community right now. Uh, we know the homeless, those who are um, out on the streets and, and living in shelters, they need warm clothes and we want to be able to help them with that. And so we've been collecting. We have one more day of collection today. I think we could probably still take some if, if you forgot. But uh, again, these tangible ways that we can show the love of God to the world and to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you for your words today. Father, thank you for this amazing example of the church in Antioch where believers were first called Christians. Father God, they were called that because there was something radically different about them that the world recognized. And so whatever we want to call ourselves, Father, it's kind of secondary to what we should be called and what I pray the world would call us. I pray that they would know that we are Christians and call us that because of our love, because of our faithfulness to the gospel, to share it, to speak the truth in love because of the way that we are discipled here, that we are ever growing into the likeness of Christ and doing that together. And because of the way that, that we reach out and we show your love to those around us. Father God, continue the work that you are doing of making disciples who become mature and productive Christians. For your glory, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, if you're able, would you stand with us again? And we'll close by singing Leaning on the Everlasting Arms.
do a little bit of that there, yeah. Um, before I pronounce the benediction, just a quick reminder. So following the service, roughly 10 minutes after or so, 15, uh, through these doors will be Discipleship Explored uh, with Pastor Paul, the group that will be meeting in there. Uh, and then for those who are interested in baptism, we'll be having the first baptism class. If you go head over into the children's wing, we'll be meeting in that room over there where the children meet, uh, roughly 10, 15 minutes following the service. We'll look forward to that time together today. Uh, but now receive the Lord's blessing, and I'm going straight to Revelation for this. This is Revelation chapter 1. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him, to Christ, be glory and power forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. The Lord bless you.